Pastor Clay's taking a much-needed time of rest and relaxation. With this week's message, here's Dave Helfrich from the Cross Culture Church Student Ministry. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Well, I just want to first say thank you. Um, you know, I get the privilege every single week to minister to students, you know, middle school and high school students. So I just want to say thanks for giving me that opportunity. My family loves them. We cherish that moment uh, when we get to share that with them. I'm going to weep in just a second. But uh, anyways, so thank you for that. And also just, you know, thanks for giving me an opportunity to share God's word. It is a privilege. It's not something that I, I take for granted. And I am very humbled to be here today uh, in the place of a man that truly does share God's word very well, Pastor Clay. If you don't know who I am, I didn't really introduce myself. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. So I'm glad to be here. Uh, one of the things I really love to do is meet people. You know, there's just something about getting to know someone, you know, interacting with that person and just finding information about them. But every, every so often, I'll meet someone that changes my life, you know? Have you ever met someone in your life that maybe after that interaction, you, your life was never the same? One of those people for me was Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, yes. One of those people for me was my wife, Cindy. Uh, when I first met her, I just knew there was something about her and our relationship that was going to change my life. And of course it did. You know, I was living in Lynchburg and I moved, bought a house in Roanoke just to be close to her. You know, I asked her to marry me like four months into the relationship. You know, we got engaged, we got married. And like four months into the marriage, we had another person that changed my life. And that was my daughter, right, Alana. And so when you hold your, your child, you kind of know, right, that your life's going to change, and it does, right? It, of course it changes. Huh? Yes, four months. Sorry, sorry. Hold on. I got corrected. Four months into it, we got pregnant. Nine months later, we, okay. Just, just making sure, even if, even if that happened, you know, God's grace is sufficient in my life for that too. But anyways, so what was I trying to say? Thanks, honey. Um, <laughs> what I was trying to say is that your life changes when you meet people. And, and today we're going to talk about an interaction that Simon had with a man by the name of Jesus, right? Um, and of course, as you know by now, this interaction changed Simon's life forever. And so my goal today is not for you to, um, you know, leave here saying, well, that was a pretty good talk, or leave here saying, man, John, your music was awesome. My goal for you today is that you would get a glimpse of Jesus, and who he is, and allow his power and his glory to change your life forever. Okay, so if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. I'm just going to read it here, and we'll go, we'll go on from there. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gesenaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of, of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So just let me, let me just give you an insight. Jesus comes to the lake and he sees two boats. He just happens to hop into one, you know. He, it's Simon's boat and he tells Simon, go ahead and scoop me out because I really, I'm feeling a little pressure with all these people around me. So I want to go out and I want to, Share the word of God with them. And so Jesus does that. Simon pushes the boat out. We continue here in, in verse 4. He says, When he had finished speaking, 
He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And when Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that, were, that, that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. And follow Jesus. And so my goal here, I want to share with you. First, I titled this sermon, When Sinful Man Beholds the Son of God. And so the first thing I want to do is define behold. It's not really a term that we use a lot in our language. And so uh, I want to define that for you. And then the second thing I want to do is I want to give you four results and three conclusions that, um, that Simon concluded on, on this interaction with Jesus. Because let me pray real quick. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, you gave me new life in him and so that I can uh, live for him. Uh, and, and Lord, I just pray now that the people here and that me, including, Lord, that we would get a glimpse of him clearly, that we would meet Jesus and that our lives would never be the same, that we would leave here different than when we came. Thank you again for your word so that we can read it and understand you and love you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the term behold, if you take a look up here, the term behold just means to see or to observe a thing or a person, especially a remarkable, impressive one, right? And so as an example here, it says, behold, your king, right? It's like an announcement. It's like, behold. And so when we, when we think about this, I want, I want you to think about, I'm saying, when, when sinful man beholds the Son of God, right? Um, some of the synonyms are see, view, look, sight, watch, observe. And notice. And so what I'm saying is when a sinful man beholds the Son of God, he's looking at him. He's paying close attention to what he's doing and what he's saying. He's, he's watching his word and listening intently to him. And, um, and so that's what, what really it means to behold. And, and when this takes place, his life is different, right? His life is totally and radically changed by this interaction, by looking, by observing Jesus. And so he comes to these four, there's four basic results. And the first one is this, that he recognizes as Jesus' deity, okay? Luke's gospel, um, at the beginning, he starts off and he says this. He says, he wrote this so that you may know for certain of the things that took place during Jesus' time, Luke 1, 4, right? And so he wants, to, he wants to make us understand and know for certain the things that took place. And one of those main themes that he has is Jesus' deity, that Jesus is God. And throughout the scripture, throughout the book of Luke, you'll see people testifying to Jesus as being the Son of God. And in fact, in the first four chapters of the book of Luke, before we get to here, where our verse is, chapter 5, we see over 18 times someone or something testifying to Jesus as the Son of God. And in chapter 1... Verse 31 through 32, the angel of the Lord says to Mary, And behold, 
the, the term behold again, right? And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, right? And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. In chapter 2, verse 42, Jesus testifies, right? He's, his mom and dad comes. He says, why, where were you? We were going home and you were hanging out here. What does he say? He says, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He's testifying that he's the son of God. Luke, Luke chapter 3, the father testifies when Jesus gets baptized. What happens? A voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So the father testifies. In Luke chapter 4, Satan testifies when Jesus is in the wilderness. He says, since you are the son of God, why don't you command this stone to become bread? Satan even knows that this, Jesus is the son of God. Luke 4, 18 through 19, Scripture testifies. This is where Jesus gets up and he reads from Isaiah, right? And the Scriptures testify to Jesus. Luke chapter 4, 34 and 41, demons are testifying. Jesus is casting out demons and they're coming out. What are they saying? Get away from me, son of God. What do you want from me? You know, even the demons testify that Jesus is the son of God. And here in chapter 5, 1 through 11, we see a sinful man, Simon, testifying. That Jesus is the Son of God. You see, Simon changed his mind about Jesus. In, chap- in chapter 4, this wasn't the first time that Jesus met Simon. In fact, we see in chapter 4 that Jesus was in Simon's house healing his, ste- his mother-in-law. He was healing his mother-in-law. And so he still hadn't really made up his mind about Jesus yet. And he, and he first calls him master. He first calls him master in, in verse 5. Um, yeah, verse 5, he says, Master, we toiled all night. It just means someone that's important. But then in verse 8, he says, oh, Lord. Oh, you're my boss. Oh, you're the Lord. That's who you are, Jesus. You're the Lord. So he, he recognizes Jesus' deity. And, and when you behold the Son of God, you can't help but do that. You cannot help but see how awesome and great he is and how he is God. And, and so, but you can't stop there, right? And so as we saw in our examples, we can't just admit that Jesus is God because even Satan and the demons admit that he's God, right? And so we must continue, which brings to the second point. The second result of a sinful man beholding the Son of God is that he recognizes his sin. Take a look at verse 8. It's, it says here, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Look at the highlighted. It says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, the term here, the words here, depart from me, he couldn't even be around Jesus. He was so confronted and convicted of his sin when he beheld Jesus that he, he asked him to leave. Get away from me. You know, I can't help but remember in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah saw the vision of the Lord in chapter 6. And he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the angels, right, were singing holy, holy, holy. What did Isaiah say? He said, get away from me for I, I have filthy lips. He, just like that, when, when we behold the Son of God, we will, we will acknowledge our sin and our sinfulness because when we look at him, we see someone that's perfect, someone that's holy, someone that's righteous. You know, part of the, part of the law in the Old Testament, part of the purpose of the law was so that the Israelites could see that one, what was sin, and two, that they were all sinners. And so when Jesus came and he said that I came to fulfill the law, it means that he came to do exactly what the law required, being perfect. And so when we look at Jesus and we behold him, we know that he is perfect and we're convicted of our sin and we, 
and we, we know and we admit that we're sinners, right? But we don't do that. We don't, we don't just stop there either. You know, when we behold the Son of God, we might recognize that he's deity. We might recognize that he's God. We might even admit or acknowledge that we're sinners. But that's not enough, right? Most of the whole world will admit that there's something wrong with them, right? There's something wrong with us. But not, not everyone will do what's, what's next, which is the third the third result is, is simply this, that they, he confesses and he repents. In verse 8, he says, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He confesses. So I wanted to kind of just touch base what confession and repentance means. Okay? So first, confession. Confession isn't just, you know, acknowledging and, and accepting your sin internally, because that's what we just talked about. It's actually testifying, right? It's publicly admitting our sin before God. It's, it's doing this, this act of verbal confession, right? And I hate this. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be wrong very often. And when I'm, when I'm interacting with my wife and we're having like an argument, yeah, we do sometimes, we, we argue and I, sometimes I'm wrong, but I don't like it. So I, I'll just keep fighting and I won't admit that I'm wrong. I won't confess, right? But, but the problem is, is that I, I'm not humbling myself. Right? I'm not going to humble myself, and I value myself and my worth and my, my, my ability to be right over the fact of the matter is that I'm just wrong. Okay, And so that's what confession is. It's, it's an act of humility. And when Simon here sees Jesus, when he sees him clearly, he, he's humbled by that. He's humbled by just his presence, and he, he confesses his sin to Jesus. It's amazing. And the second thing he does is he repents, Right? And repentance is this. I I love this. It's turning away from sin and turning towards God. You see, Simon wasn't just remorseful over his sin. He was willing to leave his sin behind completely. R.C. Sproul said this in uh, in a commentary I read. He said, repentance which saves is not merely a turning from, but it's a turning to. And who are we turning to? Jesus. We're looking at him. We're beholding him. Repentance is so hard. It's, it's, it's one of those things that, that we have a difficult time doing, but it's, it's one of those things that we have to do, right? And so Simon here, he beholds the Son of God, and he recognizes his Jesus' deity, and he acknowledges his sin, but he also confesses, and he repents. He's not just saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, but he's saying, I'm leaving it behind. We see that in his actions, right? If you look down here, and um, he... Verse 11, he says that, and when they had bought, brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed Jesus. We're talking about the biggest catch that, that he probably ever made. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm, it's going to be hard to leave that behind. I mean, that was his livelihood, wasn't it? That was what he made money off of. That's what he probably fed his family. He, he probably had a wife because he had a mother-in-law, right? And so he, was, he, he didn't care about any of that. He repented. He turned away from his life, his desires, to follow Jesus. And I think that's just an amazing testimony to us to know that we can't just, we can't just follow Jesus lightheartedly, can we? We have to follow him wholeheartedly with all of our heart. Okay, so he, he repented and he confessed. And the last one, and see, this is the good thing about Jesus, right? He doesn't leave us like that. Because if he left us like that, there would be no hope. But he doesn't leave us like that. The last thing is this, is that he forgives, Right? He forgives Simon. If you take a look at verse 10 at the end, it says, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be 
catching men. And this, this idea of do not be afraid comes all over Scripture, right? We hear this in the Old Testament. We hear it in the New Testament. He's saying do not be afraid. But why is he, why is he saying do not be afraid? Well, what I would say, I would suggest is that he's, he's forgiving Simon, right? See, one, Luke's, Luke's main theme is to show Jesus as deity, but right here he, he turns the corner. And not only is he showing Jesus as he is the Son of God, but he's saying here's his purpose. He's come to save. If you take a look at ver, uh, chapter 4, verse 43, the people wanted him, Jesus to stay around, and Jesus said this. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. What was he sent for? To, to share the good news. What was the good news about? For the forgiveness of sins, right? In the same chapter, chapter 5, starting in 17, Jesus is presented with this paralytic, right? And he sees this guy and he wants to heal the guy. And he doesn't say, okay, you can go. You're, you're healed. No, he says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, they hate this. They don't like this idea. Why, why don't they like this idea? Because only God can forgive sins. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say. He is God, and he's here to forgive sins. And Jesus ends that little conversation with this statement. He says, you want to know why I said that, Pharisees and scribes and religious people? This is why. So that you may know that the Son of Man, Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins that he has the authority on earth to forgive sin. That was his purpose. That was his goal, to come and to forgive us, to come and to forgive the ones who have sinned. And I'm just overwhelmed at this because, to be honest, this meets me where I'm at, right? I was a sinner. And if it wasn't for Jesus to come on my boat and save me, I would be left in my sin, unaware of where I was heading to. And so, I'm so grateful that he is willing to save guys like me and guys like Simon. And in light of this, and here's the thing, in light of this wonderful grace that we have, some of you maybe have already experienced, in light of that grace, in light of that love, Simon concludes three things about Jesus. And I think it's important that we see this because these three things are something that we must all conclude, right? We must all conclude these things. And it's in light of that love that he concludes them. It's not because... Um, you know, of, of anything else. It's, it's because of that love that Christ has already given to us. And these are the three things. The first one is this, is that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. Simon immediately makes Jesus number one in his life, right? We see that. He, he left the fish. He left his wife. He left his family. He left his boat. He left everything behind. He left all things behind. Because why? Because Jesus is worthy of his worship. Because Jesus is worthy of that. He's worthy of giving it all up. Now, I don't know exactly what took place after this. They might have went somewhere and, and Simon might have came back and checked up with his family. I'm sure he did. But at the same time, he didn't hesitate. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, you know what? Look, I, we just got a really big catch. I'd like to go over there. I'd like to go ahead and process the fish get my pay, payday, and then tell my wife, and then maybe I'll come and follow you. No, that's not what he did. He made Jesus first in his life, in his de- decision-making, in everything. You see, in our, in our culture today, the Christian community has a real big issue with idolatry. And an idol is just this. It's anything or anyone that takes the place of God 
in your heart, right? And, and for some of us, that's just ourselves, right? Because, I mean, that's where, where I am sometimes. It's just myself. You know, my wishes, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my goals, my ministry. That's my idol, right? And get what, what God is saying is that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped, not those things. That he is first and only him. And I, I'm just overwhelmed at this because it's just hard, right? Well, there's so much in this world that, that distracts us from Jesus. But he is, all those things will not match the amazing love he has for us. And so he is worthy of our worship. I'm kind of I'm losing my track of thought. <laughs> so hanging with, you know, Chris Tomlin, he, he had the song, You and I, are ma- have you heard, made for worship, right? Have you ever heard that? The question is, though, for us, is what are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? So I want you to just think about that as we continue on. The second thing that Simon concludes when beholding the Son of God is that he is worthy to be obeyed. We see this in three different times. The first time we see in verse uh, 3, Jesus gets into the boat and he asks him to pull out, right? To pull out for a little while. And what does Simon do? He pulls out. He obeys. The second time we see him in in verse 5 where he says, um, where Jesus asks him to go ahead and cast the nets for a catch, and Simon reluctantly, right, reluctantly puts out his net for a catch. But that's obedience, right? You know, I tell my daughter this a lot of time. I want first-time obedience with the right heart attitude. But if I don't get the right heart attitude, I want first-time obedience, okay? At least, at least that's what Simon got first-time obedience, right? But he might have not got the right heart attitude. And then finally, we see the other act of obedience and the fact that Jesus says, hey, your new mission is to go catch fish. I mean, <laughs> not fish, men. To go catch men, right? To go catch men. And so he immediately goes and, and is on mission for King Jesus. I think that's awesome. Obedience is, is not easy. Um, you know, in, in the book of John, it says this. <clears throat> it says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Who, does anyone know who said that? Jesus, right? Jesus said that. If you love me, you'll obey me. So obedience is actually a reflection on what? Our love for him. And I'm not saying, here, hear me out really quickly. I'm not saying that if you obey him, he'll love you anymore. Because that's a lie. He already loves you more than you can ever even imagine, whether you obey or not obey. Okay? The, the fact of the matter is, is because of that great love, we should obey. And that's what Jesus is saying. It said we should obey. You know, if you take a look at this verse, verse 8, he says, Oh, Lord. The word Lord just means boss, right? And if you think about your workplace, just think about it. What does your boss require of you? Well, you got to be on time. you got to do what he asks you to do. There's, there's a sense of obedience there, right? And Jesus is saying that I'm your boss. It's time to obey. And, and I... I I think it's, it's obviously it's a little different because we got a really good boss in Jesus versus the bosses that we might have in a, work, in a workforce. But the principle is the same, right? We, we, we need to obey. And he is worthy of our obedience. Listen to this in, um, in, the, in Philippians. Check this out. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, keep this up here, Tyler. 
both, it is God, right, to give you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, we don't, we're not left with our own energy to obey God. He gives it to us. He gives us the power and the ability to obey him for his good pleasure. And I think that's important. And the last thing, when sinful man beholds the Son of God, he, he sees Jesus as worthy to be worshipped. He sees Jesus as worthy to be obeyed. And lastly, he sees Jesus as worthy to give his entire life for his mission. If you take a look at the end of verse 10, Jesus says, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. In verse 11 it says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I just, I just think this is an amazing point here. Simon went to do exactly what Jesus asked him to do, to go be fishers of men. To go be fishers of men. And even though he was leaving behind the largest catch he has ever seen probably, he has this, this idea that Jesus is worthy for that. That Jesus is worthy to give up his entire life to follow him. You know, um, we see that his mission, Jesus' mission is, is for the Son of Man to come and to seek and to save that which is lost, right? That is the mission of God. And that is exactly what he's called us to, to be about his kingdom business. And if you notice, I couldn't help, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think about later in the book of Acts when Simon, who is also Peter, was, was, in, was in chapter 2, and it was the day of Pentecost. We all know about this. and The Spirit of God came upon the people of God, and they were all speaking in different lungues, praise, uh, different languages, um, and, and, telling, and all these people came, and a multitude of people came, and Simon stood up, and he began to preach God's word, and he preached the resurrection of Christ, and, and many, many people came and, and heard this, and what's amazing is this, is how did, how did the author, who also wrote the book of Luke, end in that? This is how he ended it. Listen. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Do you think at this point, Simon was like, man, I wish I was back there with that big catch, that big catch of fish. No, no. Simon was looking here, and he saw how faithful God is. Not only is God saying, hey, you're going to go and catch fish, you're going to be fishers of men, but I'm going to get you a big catch. Do you see this? I mean, it's amazing. Simon had 3,000 souls in a a catch that had eternal ramifications, not one that maybe would give them a little bit of money or a little bit of uh, a fame for the big catch of fish, but one that saw people coming to Jesus. That's just beautiful. It's beautiful that he was faithful to do that, and he, he will be faithful to us to do that as well. You know, one of the things I, I thought of when, when we were doing this is just how how my life, does it reflect this? Does, do, do, I, do I worship Jesus with my entire life? Do I believe that he is worthy of my obedience? Do I believe that my whole entire life is for this purpose, to seek and to save that which is lost? You know, and, I, and I was convicted. I was confronted with the reality that there's lots of times in my life that I'm thinking about myself before I think about his mission. So my challenge here for you guys today, and I'm going to wrap up quickly. I don't know. When, when do I end? Wow. I went through that fast. Did I miss something? 
Look, I don't know if you know this, but this is really only the first time I've preached in front of like, an, like this kind of group. I do a lot of teaching, but I have never preached. But I'm, ex- I'm glad that I was able to do that. Maybe I missed something. Anyways, here's the point. The point is this, is that we're all sinful men and women, right? And when we behold the Son of God, we will recognize that he is God. We will acknowledge, his, uh, acknowledge our sin, right? We will confess and we will repent, and he is faithful to forgive us. And when we are standing in light of that great love and that great forgiveness, we will come to the conclusion that Jesus is worthy of our worship, that he is worthy of our obedience, and that he is truly worthy to give our entire life for his gospel and for his purposes. That's the bottom line. So here's what I'm asking you. Some of you here, maybe, this is the first time you've ever been to a church or ever heard this. And what I'm asking you to do is, would you look to Jesus? Would you behold him and and truly look at him and see that he is just waiting for you to see who he is and to ask for the forgiveness that you need for your life? Would Would you consider that today? Others of us here, we might have, you know, have done this for a little while, but we still don't really believe that Jesus has anything to offer us. We think that we might be good enough that we can earn our way into heaven. We can maybe give enough, uh, do this or do that. Can I just tell you that that's not going to work? That's just not going to work. That it's only in the confession and repentance of sin and the forgiveness that Christ gives us that you will be able to get to where God wants us to be, and that's in full relationship with him in heaven. Others of us have been here for a while, and we've done this thing called Jesus for a while, and we need to come to some, some real conclusions. Maybe, maybe some of us here need to realize that Jesus is just not number one in our lives, that he's worthy of our worship, but we just our life doesn't reflect that. Maybe we need to look at our, our life and, and decide, are, am, I, am I really living a life that reflects the conclusion that Jesus is worthy of my worship? Some, some, of, some others here are probably saying, well, you know, I, I believe that. I believe that. I, I know he is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work something out here, and, and I'm going to allow God to, to work in me so that I can really, really worship him with my entire life. Some, some of you now just have to obey, right? You have to, you have to come to the conclusion that Jesus is worthy of your obedience. So my question to you is, what is he asking you to do? There's probably people here that, that need to go on the mission field like tomorrow. For Jesus. Others, maybe it's just that you need to say that you're sorry to your friend or to your spouse. Or others of you, you need to forgive somebody. You know, others of you, it might be that you just need to have um, faith that God is going to get you through tomorrow or today. And so he is worthy of our obedience. And for others of you, it's that he's, wor- he's worthy of your entire life, right? To, to give for his mission and for his for his glory. And, and this is the hardest one probably for the Christian faith. You know, we, we think that it all happens here, but it does, nothing happens really here other than in a celebration of what God is doing out there, right? what he's doing out there. We're, we're not called the church because we have a building. We're called the church because we're sent out to go and to share his message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And so some of you here are, are thinking, okay, how can I leverage my life, my finances, my everything for that purpose? How can I leverage my life for that purpose? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end here because we can have some more worship, and that's good. 
because really I don't have anything else to say. I think it's important for us to see this, though, that when we see Christ truly, we will see him as worthy of our worship, as worthy of our obedience, and worthy to give our entire life for his purposes. Thanks, Pastor Dave, and thank you for joining us for Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is back next week with the next installment in his series, Life, Love, Legacy, The Story of Ruth. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.